0: This is the Legacy Wealth Code Podcast, helping you build long-term wealth and a lasting legacy through real estate investing, tax strategies, and motivational stories from some of the most successful and influential people out there. Here are your
1: hosts, real estate investor and entrepreneur, Michael Notbaum and real estate investor and attorney, Andrew Hook. Welcome to another episode of the Legacy Wealth Code Podcast. My name is Michael Notbaum, and I'm here with my partner, Andrew.
0: What's going on, everybody?
1: So we are today going to jump into just kind of some current events. You know, we've got banks that are collapsing. Interest rates have been going up over the last year or so. And there's going to be an opportunity for the distressed property market. So today we want to just talk a little bit about what does that look like? You know, what are the opportunities going to be? I know Andrew's done a lot of for short sale stuff at the law office. So you can kind of walk through how that process works, but there's going to be a lot of opportunities in the next, I would say probably a year to 18 months that you're going to want to be poised and ready to take advantage of. Cause there's definitely going to be, you know, we've got friends from 2008 to 2010 that made a ton of wealth through buying these kind of properties. And I think that opportunity is probably on the horizon.
0: Yeah, I mean I think there's obviously a lot of volatility right now. There's a lot of a lot of questions surrounding, you know, what is the market going to be doing? You know, things are appear to be slowing and especially in certain markets and you've got some defaults that are starting. You've also got some interesting factors at play though in the in the essence of historically low interest rates. I mean, people that are in a two percent or three percent interest rate on a home are not going to be in any hurry to vacate that property. So, you know, there's some exacerbating circumstances I think that are going to make it very interesting to watch. But inevitably with the cost of everything skyrocketing you know an insurance is a mess in certain states i mean there there's there's got to be a buying opportunity of some sort and on and I would imagine on a fairly large scale so
1: yeah, and I would say that to me personally, just being in the retail side of real estate for a number of years that the historically low interest rates i think have given. A false narrative to how hot the market actually is. I mean, there's there's always going to be people that need to move, mm-hmm. and the fact that there's literally nothing available in a lot of markets. I think that that's starting to change, of course. But you know, for the last couple of years, it was like you put something on the market and you got twenty offers, and so people were moving, and there's just nothing available to buy. And I think it gave this false narrative that that it really was this crazy hot market.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's and I think you know personally from where we sit, we've seen sort of a I would say from Q, latter part of Q3 of 2022, you started to see some, some slowdown and some change where you didn't have this just, you know, funnel effect or or fire hose pump effect of people that are, were just falling all over themselves to get into anything that they could get into. And, you know, as the, as the fed continued to raise those rates. And I think, you know, a lot of that happened, the jump started to happen in in Q3 and in Q4 that followed historically is always going to be the quarter after you get drastic jumps that is, that's going to be the most impacted. And I think we saw that a lot. And then you saw kind of Q1 of 2023 start to pick back up again as people readjusted their mindset. We always come back to mindset, but readjusted their mindset to Higher interest rates and kind of wrapping their head around the fact that, you know, two and threes are out the window and now five, sixes, even sevens are going to be more viable as you move forward.
1: Right. Right and people aren't putting in those crazy no-contingency offers anymore. It's starting to to come back to a more balanced market. And so I was reading that default notices, scheduled auctions or bank repossessions are up 36% from 2022 to 2023, and most recently up 2% month over month. So we're definitely seeing a pretty large increase in something that for the last probably four or five years, you, you saw hardly any foreclosures. I mean, there's virtually none because people were building so much equity they just got out of their property if they couldn't afford it.
0: Yeah, I think you also have the compounding effect of of the pandemic too, right? I mean, everything was basically put on hold. No no banks could foreclose, no banks could take any action during COVID, and then all of a sudden you had all this this money just pumped in, and so it's really, you know, people that may not have been paying their payment of some sort since COVID finally are probably getting around to you know we're really truly actually behind now we've got a problem on our hands type of yeah. thing so when you
1: look at i think january of 2020 inflation was at 1.4% mm-hmm. by the end of 2021 it was at 7% so it's it's come down some i think this month it was 6% but you're still talking about a 6x from 2020 till now and interest rates have doubled yeah I mean, maybe even more than doubled. I think we, I remember seeing stuff in the low threes around 2021. Yeah. And now you've seen, now it's six, 7% is a fairly common rate that people are getting quoted.
0: I'd be curious to see how much of those numbers you quoted are, are in a small segment of the market though. I mean, I I think the Sunbelt in particular continues to do extremely well, all things considered obviously, but you definitely have these markets that people have exited out of, you know, over oh, the sure. last few years. And I, I I would have a sneaking suspicion that a number of those defaults is coming in some in some of those areas.
1: Well, think about if, if people are defaulting in states that, you know, I, I know we're kind of past the pandemic, but there was so much movement from New York, California, Illinois, the states that basically were shut down for yeah. you know, eighteen months. Those properties that had this huge, you know, appreciation, which was on a nationwide level. So now those properties are for sale with a 7% interest rate attached to it. Who's buying them? Right. The buying power is significantly less, which in turn makes the buying pool less. Yeah. So it's pretty crazy to think about. So I think as we move forward, what we're going to start seeing is inevitably these numbers of, distressed properties are going to go up. yeah. And I know we've been saying it for for a long time. We're like, how much longer can these properties continue to increase in value?
0: Uh, I remember having this conversation in like 2016, thinking to myself, how much higher can things go? And here you fast forward, you know, seven years later and, and they're, you know, still on a rise. So.
1: But for a long time, we didn't have any major events affecting it. Mm -hmm. You know, it was just like historically property values go up, then they go down, then they go up. It's just a cycle that happens every about 12 years. And we were at that cycle end in 2016. Mm -hmm. And then we just kept going up and up, but there wasn't really a big factor. It wasn't something like COVID, like interest rates, like inflation. Now banks are collapsing. Yeah, I mean, there's so many factors now, uncertainty in the world, you know, there's, there's just a lot of things that i think are going to ultimately well
0: and if you look back at not not to i mean there's so many distinguishing factors between 2008 and currently but if you look back at what really triggered all of a sudden the domino effect of 2008 was lehman brothers fa- failing you know so right. you you start to have these these large institutions that are not too big to fail and they go and confidence gets shaken. And the economy, as you know, is solely based on people's confidence. So, you know, I I think there's, as we, we, you know, we opened with a lot of volatility and I think that's, that there, that is present in the world. There's, and as we said, there's a lot of things that are kind of fighting against it, but, you know, you can't put your head in the sand and ignore the fact that there's probably going to be some, some pretty excellent distressed, distressed Property buying opportunities I no, totally so, agree.
1: So let's talk about what that looks like. So, people out there that are maybe sitting on cash, you know, want to get into the investment game. What do you think? What would you say is the best option?
0: I kind of break it into buckets, honestly. So, you have to think about it from what I would call like direct to owner scenarios where you can go to them and say, Hey, you know, we know you're in over your head or you're in a pre. Pre default scenario, let us step in, take over your mortgage. You know, we'll pay you some money and exit. That's that's considered a lot of times to be a subject to purchase, meaning subject. You're buying it subject to that existing mortgage, and so there's opportunities like that that are available where you're going direct to the consumer. You know that there's some some trouble there and, and you're trying to give them an escape you know a lot of people will will farm for default notices basically so things get filed with the courthouse to say hey you're you're on the verge of a foreclosure essentially so you can go to kind of direct to consumer on those or direct to seller I guess not to consumer, but that's kind of one bucket. the other bucket I would say is and people who are maybe they've gotten a little more proactive with it. They know this is on the horizon instead of somebody coming to them, they're saying we're going to get in front of this. That tends to look somewhat more like a short sale where like the seller is proactively saying, you know, we need to go on the market, we need to list the property for what we think is currently fair market value even though it's under what we owe. So if my mortgage for example is 500,000 and I know I can only sell my house for 450,000, I know I've got a short sale on my hands and you're going to, you know, the the bank essentially is going to have to eat that differential as part of a short sale negotiation. But, yeah, so that's kind of what I would say is like the, those, and those are actually on market opportunities. That's what's, that's what's so interesting about short sales is, you know, from the investor mindset, everybody's always says, ah, there's no opportunities in the MLS. Well, uh, there's some truth to that, but if you rewind back to 2009, 10, 11 12 even probably, there were a lot of buying opportunities on the MLS because the banks are actually requiring you to put your property on the MLS and list it to make sure that you're you're putting it out there to get viable offers and get the best offer that you can get. So, I mean, there's there are some of those opportunities like that. And then the third component I would say is more auction-based. So, properties that are actually going into a foreclosure, the bank is actually taking taking the action to foreclose the borrower. It's going through a judicial process and it's going to an auction to be sold. And there's a couple different types of auctions that you can buy at. I mean, right now you might see people defaulting. If they can't pay their mortgage, they may not be paying their, their homeowners association bill as well. And those homeowners associations can also foreclose and enforce an auction of a property. So there's buying opportunities from the bank auctions. There's buying opportunities from the HOA auctions. And then there's also buying opportunities from the tax deed auctions, which is where, you know, oh, shoot, I got my tax bill this year and I don't have enough cash to pay it, you know, they're going to sell off that tax certificate. And if I don't do that for enough times in a row, that actually can be sent to auction and sold. So there's a number of different auction opportunities that are available, but, like, those are kind of the buckets that I segment them into.
1: Yeah, no, that's a good point. So, and just to kind of break it down, I think for for people who maybe have never been in this distressed space, let's talk kind of about each of those buckets for a minute. And I think one of the important points with seller financing is, you know, in, in from our wholesale business, obviously you see this when you're making those cold calls to people who are in a distressed situation. You know, it can definitely be somewhat of a, you know, you got to walk a little bit fragile on that conversation because, you know. People are going to automatically be on the defensive. Yeah. But I think the important point here is really understanding their situation and providing a win-win for both parties. Yeah. Because there's definitely, you know, I think the most rewarding experiences ever are when, you know, you fill a gap that they're in need of and then you're also on the winning side too because it, it can happen for both parties.
0: I think there's a lot to that and I mean that's interesting you brought up seller financing because we didn't even we didn't even talk about that before but that's actually one that you know we'll occasionally see people that are they're property rich but they're cash poor, right? And so they'll they'll say, you know, I don't ha- I don't have any liquidity but if you i can sell a property that i own outright for example and you can give me some portion of a down payment now that puts a chunk in my pocket and then pay me on a on a periodic you know period over time that gives them a cash flow basis almost like an annuity too and so you know that's that's almost like a rescue for some people you know you're throwing right. in them a life wrap saying hey you're in a you're in a position where you need cash we can give you some cash, but you know you own your property outright. You might as well you might as well you know have that income stream on on top of it as well.
1: So. Sure, and they're avoiding a tax liability.
0: Yeah, I mean that's a that's an excellent opportunity on both sides. So. Right.
1: So and so, so uh, seller financing and subject two, I think are are both situations yeah. where that conversation is very similar because you know you never know someone's situation. Subject two is typically they're in a default seller well, financing. I may think is
0: especially when you're starting out and investing too. You're You're thinking about it from the standpoint of what do I know and what works for me, but that's not always the way to approach it, right? I mean, as you said, you've got to think about what's the seller actually need because what you as the buyer think they want is the highest number, but the highest number may not always be exactly what they're looking for. I mean, they they have other considerations they're trying to take into account
1: for. And if you can make your terms work for you, you can give them that higher number and then have the terms in your favor to where- essentially they're getting what they want out of it but you're also getting what you want sure so i've seen definitely a lot of different people online talking about this i think at great length and there's you know an entire market for this
0: you know we we hear a lot of recently kind of about the hotel model and i think that fits directly into that component where you know the seller seller doesn't necessarily want to sell to anybody right now or at least to an investor but they'll say I don't have the cash to improve. You come in, help me improve it. We'll work together to sell it at a premium and then split those profits. I mean, that's, again, understanding that unique situation of that seller where, you know, they may not like my direct buy offer, but if I can offer them some piece to step up their sale price and then, you know, cover myself and make some of that money back, I mean, that's another investment opportunity as an investor. And it's also a great opportunity for that seller.
1: Sure. And I think one of the, especially it applies to distressed properties, but one of the greatest things about real estate is there's no one way to do anything. Sure. You know, and that becomes, for me, it's, it's kind of fun sometimes figuring out, you know, you take the time to understand their scenario. Now we can put together a creative solution and it doesn't have to be, you know, it's either going to be A or B, it could be X, you know, something that's maybe totally abnormal, but it works for both parties and then you can move forward. It's just cool to have something, you know, an industry where there's just so many different options.
0: Yeah, definitely.
1: So, and then let's talk about short sales. Cause I know I've been on the representative side for a lot of clients, you know, you and the firm, I know have done a lot of short sales. So if you've never done a short sale, I would say the first disclaimer is it's not fast. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yes, prepare prepare yourself to move at tortoise speed across yeah, the board. Exactly. So you
1: know, I in in
0: short sales as as much of a pain as they can be, I think, especially coming out of the last foreclosure crisis, were a really good option for people, especially when they when we had the tax waivers on capital gains. So. You know, in in many instances, when you have debt that's discharged, the the lender is reporting that to the IRS as actual income. Which I mean, for these people, they've already been you know hit, shredded in the ground, whatever. They're they're trying to pick themselves up and and dust themselves off. The last thing they need is a is a big tax bill coming out of that. And so, you know, it was a, it was a viable option. But you know, we had we had Chris McLaughlin on here a couple of weeks ago, and he's talking about the short sales that he did. I mean, there were a lot of people who were able to benefit from the short sales from both the homeowner side but also the investor side. And I mean, you know, it 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 almost re-engaged the real estate community when there was nothing and they needed a they needed a lifeline. I mean, it got it got agents listings so they got paid. It got attorneys work as they negotiated, you know, short sales. It got title companies work as they closed these files. And in, and in the same token, it, it was an opportunity for investors as buyers, and it was a it was a way out for these sellers that didn't have any options essentially other than this. So, you know, it, when you wrap that into one package, it really was a great component. Yeah, I mean, the banks hated it, I'm sure, because they're taking they're taking losses left and right, but. But as we know, the banks get it. Get it. I mean, they did. Okay. Let's they just not, knock
1: on the door of the government yeah. and then they get a blank check and then yeah. we never hear about it again. They
0: all ended up doing okay. But, right. you know, at the time, I'm sure it didn't feel great. So.
1: And then the the third bucket that you talked about um, was, you know, how do you, how does somebody get into that space? Do you think?
0: So, you know, it's I always, changed a whole bunch. Oh, I mean, it's so different. We've got
1: friends I know that talked about they were on the courthouse steps. Yeah. You know, like you watch, like, uh, what was that show, Storage Wars, where they're yeah, like, you know, literally
0: bidding? Right. Yeah. And cash. that's
1: basically what it was like. And it's now yeah. all online.
0: I, I always tell the story of I, I went to a tax deed auction in 2011, and it was the last one that I went to in person. And there were about maybe five people in that room. And now they're online, but there's like an entire sub industry that's been created where like people are selling title search reports to these investors. They're I mean the, the number of people that are bidding at these things is just is just, you know, way more than it ever was. And so there's been a lot of change in those in those auctions as far as, you know, how they've been streamlined and and I think the accessibility to get more people into it has been greater. But auctions are kind of a unique bird in the sense that you know they're they're truly buyer beware you know it's a it's a risky way to, to buy property but with risk comes reward of course and so you know if you can buy some of these things for maybe not necessarily pennies on the dollar anymore at some point it probably was pennies on the dollar but now it's you know you're you're still getting a discount but you're you're you know you're paying more because there's more competition of course but yeah you know, you have to think about it from a standpoint of, and every state's going to be a little different. You have some states that are judicial foreclosure states, which means that if you are foreclosing, you actually have to go through the court to do that. You have others that are not judici- non-judicial foreclosure states. And in, and in those states, it's literally like the bank issues you, hey, here's your notice, you're in default, we're taking the property back. Because they're holding the deed. I mean, it's not like you've been delivered the deed. They're holding the deed basically in escrow. And so in those states, those, those process moves, you know, in the states like Florida, where you're a judicial foreclosure process, that's a long process. And, and I mean, that kind of goes back to what you were talking about, with the short sale being long, but the, the foreclosure process is long too. But when that property actually finishes that process through the court and then is sold at public auction that's your opportunity as an investor to come in and say hey I'm going to I'm going to try to scoop some property for for less because what they're starting at is the judgment amount. So if I'm a bank and you owe me $200,000 on a property that's worth 400,000 and I get a final judgment for 250,000, that's where my that's where that auction is starting. And so if I can get a property for 265 for example that's worth 400, that's a good buy, right? You know, so, I mean, there's definitely opportunities in those scenarios. It's just, I think they, they have inevitably become more competitive over time, but at the same token over the last few years, the numbers of those has gone drastically down. So I don't really hear people talk a whole lot anymore about buying an auction, but I think that's one of the ones that were like the people that have experience in it and the people that are tried and true are going to be, are going to be going back to those looking because they're going to be kind of the. You know, they were sort of the the first out, but they're going to be the first back in, I think.
1: Right. Well, and the thing that you touched on, which I think is extremely important if you're thinking about getting into this space is buyer beware. Uh You know, not only are you taking over a property that, you know, even in some cases you weren't even allowed access into the property. I mean, you can go there and try to get an idea of what you're looking at, but you also don't know what's going to be. Attached to the property in a lot of cases.
0: Yeah, I mean, and that's why the title searches and doing due diligence up front is so important. And I mean, back in the in the slow days when when you had a lot of this happening, I mean, we'd hear horror stories of people that would literally they would buy properties at association auctions thinking they were getting a free and clear property that would be laced with one or two mortgages on it. And they'd spend all of their savings to buy something thinking like, oh my gosh, this is such a great opportunity. I'm buying a property for $15,000. It's worth a couple hundred thousand. Well, all of a sudden the bank sends you a letter and says, we're foreclosing because we have a mortgage on that. And those people, they've lost everything. You know, they don't, all that money they put out is gone. They're going to lose that house. So.
1: Yeah. When I think back to 2008, You know, all that bad debt was being jumbled together and sold off. And there were so many mortgages that were just lost. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of people that were in that HOA lien space, you know, I've got a friend who got a condo and he still has it from 2008 that i think he paid 12 grand for so it's like there's always that diamond in the rough there are diamond in the
0: rough ones for sure and i mean if you remember back in those days you used to see the articles that would come out every once in a while and be like free home for this person because the bank had done something so egregious that they were like we'll just write this one off you know right so but i
1: can't imagine that the technology that we have not that technology was that much drastically different but i think after all of that happened they i'm sure have put measures in place to make sure they're not losing yeah you know loan packages and saying okay well we have no idea who owns this home well
0: and i, th- I think the other side too is that the you know the the banks learned a lot from from that process too i mean like so much
1: that they're going under again
0: <laughs> well what they learned
1: to- is they can keep getting bonuses yeah and yeah. then just totally screw up and get bailed out everybody
0: That's, everybody needs their their golden parachute yeah but- you know, i i I do think that you'll see you'll see them operate differently in a default scenario where, like, especially in a in a judicial foreclosure, there's no point in them racing to try to foreclose and backlog a system again. You know, that I think they're going to probably be a little more anxious to try to do loan workouts and and be more, you know, open to we'll take something back from you or we'll have you know again like let you pursue a short sale maybe if you didn't qualify under these normal things before but i think loss mitigation as opposed to foreclosure is going to become a, a big tool in their arsenal
1: yeah No, so i think that the the overall theme here is that in the coming What do you think? 18 to 24 months?
0: I mean, I wish I had that crystal ball. Look at how much has changed in six months, you know? So I think you fast forward another six months, I would imagine that you're probably talking about sometime in late 2023, you know, and then into 2024, that's going to be fairly rocky with some of this stuff.
1: Sure. So the advice is stay on cash, Mm -hmm. be ready for these opportunities that are going to present themselves. Yep. And then just really... You know, whatever bucket you want to choose, not that you have to choose one, but just kind of become very familiar with that process. Because if you've got the tools in place to find subject to and seller financing opportunities, there's a ton of opportunity there. Same with short sales, which is going to come back to maybe finding your local realtor that that deals in that space. Mm -hmm. Typically, you're going to find probably a handful of people that are doing a lot of short sales. Yep. And so getting, you know, in with them is going to be a good opportunity. And then of course the auction sites, there's, it's, you know, a a Google search away to figure out what the local ones are for your area, but there's going to be a ton of opportunity. And I think the key is sitting on cash and getting it ready for those opportunities.
0: Yeah. I mean, I agree with all that and and educate yourself as much as you can, as you said. And then, you know, unfortunately for some people, it's going to be a, a, it'll be a tough time, but with tough times is where you get a lot of opportunity on in the investment side. And and sure. I think that's really what we're staring down. So,
1: Awesome. Well, until next time, this has been the Legacy Wealth Code podcast. Click subscribe below. We'd love to uh, share every episode with you. Until next time, onward.
0: Thank you for joining us for another episode of the Legacy Wealth Code podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, click subscribe now and
1: never miss an episode. Until next time, onward.